Behind the Music Biz, a Raised Rowdy podcast hosted by Peyton Heben. Another episode of Behind the Music Biz, a Raised Rowdy podcast. This is episode number seven. I'm your host, Peyton Heben. On this episode, we are joined by a class of 2022 Belmont graduate with a bachelor's degree in business administration in music business. She's now the creative coordinator at Black River Publishing. Please welcome Sarah Hudspeth. Hello, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. First podcast, said you were nervous. <laughs> a little bit. Call you out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we just uh, we just met in person for the first time yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, happy to have you here. Thank you for thinking of me. I love hopping in to things last minute. <laughs> um, on this podcast, I think we've had people that have gone to college. I mean, we've only had I've only had seven guests, but I think you're the first guest that's gone through a music business program. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So. <laughs> Usually, I think we had one that went to Vanderbilt, one that went to MTSU for like a year. Um, but we always bring up the people who go to Belmont. So you're, what, 23? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm 23 too. But I graduated from college with a degree in entrepreneurship, knew nothing about the music business other than straight experience. So coming into Nashville, you're from Illinois originally, right? Correct. Um, and then you just moved here for college? Mm-hmm. Yep. So coming into Nashville, you kind of got a young head start than most people that either don't go to college or um, like go to a different school that has no music business background. So like, what was that like having the head start? And just kind of tell me about your experience at Belmont because we always, not bad mouth, but we kind of just always feel like they have the upper hand when they get educated in music business as like their degree. Right. And I get that. Um, I just kind of knew what I wanted to do, which I'm very grateful for because I've had a lot of friends that I know they don't know. And I think, you know, this time of your life you're supposed to be figuring out, you don't really know what you're going to do. Um, but I loved country music. I loved Nashville. We always did our family vacations in Nashville. <laughs> like we came to CNA Fest every year. So I knew I wanted to end up here Um, and so for me, it was like Belmont, that's it. That's what I want to do. Um, and I only did apply to Belmont and MTSU, um, cause I knew I wanted to be in the area. Um, and I just kind of decided that I thought Belmont was the most bang for my buck. Um, and I was all in. So then I quickly learned when I did move here that there's so much more to it than I didn't realize. Cause Belmont doesn't necessarily, like, it's not a great school as far as like what you learn in the classroom it's more about what you learn in Nashville and what connections you can get and I think Belmont in general just opened a lot of doors for me that I don't think I would have gotten as easily maybe um but I do I think like having that Belmont experience I do have such a deeper appreciation for the people that didn't go to Belmont because they're just here doing the work after school like they move here after school after graduation and it's such a like Belmont sets you up for success so great that like it's not as scary jumping in when we're done as it would be for someone from out of state so what do you think were the main things that you were involved in that doors open for you so like when we were talking yesterday coffee you brought something up about this club that you were in or something that you got involved with the management side of things yeah it was called bear house rider management um and that one i just joined on a whim i didn't think i had thought by the name of the club that it was just like a management club and i was like i don't want to be a manager like i'm not going to do that And then um, it was kind of like COVID was ending, clubs were starting to open up again. Um, And I was like, oh, like this one looks interesting, maybe I'll apply. And it was all still virtual, we were still doing Zooms. Um, And so I joined it. And then I think it had asked like, do you have any booking experience on the application? And I was like, and it was like a type one. I was like, no, but I would be interested in learning. And I guess no one else was interested in it. So I started to be the booking agent for the club and I think when COVID opened up, like maybe the next semester, I was already like 
assigned booking agent. So then I started booking rounds for Warehouse and we wanted to do things off campus as well. Cause I think that's the important part is like branching out outside of Belmont. And so I started doing that. And then through there, I moved up to the president for my last semester. And I just made so many connections from that outside of Belmont. But also like because of that Belmont like background, we reached out to people that were Belmont grads to come back and talk. Cause we always had um, like we had like seminars and stuff where um, old Bear House alum or Belmont alum would come and speak and give like advice or um, we did pitch meetings so the songwriters could pitch songs. Um, and through that position, I think I really learned that, that that publishing was what I wanted to do. So going back to when we first started the episode and talking about Belmont, you had mentioned that you grew up on country music. You always traveled to Nashville, but you knew that you wanted to be in the music business. And mm-hmm. I admire people that know way ahead of time what they want to do because very rarely does someone go to school for their career like they know ahead of time like doctors and stuff like that like you go obviously lawyers you know Mm -hmm. you're going to school to be that most people in this industry like I mentioned they don't know what they want to do like some like it they're like oh this would be cool and they just go to college and then after something opens up right so what was it for you growing up other than coming to Nashville that you were like I love music and I want to be in the music business. Cause that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a lot of people, young people don't necessarily know. And that's why I started this podcast. A lot of people don't know all the different roles that are played behind the scenes within the music business. Yeah. I think it's funny looking back. Cause now there's all kinds of things that I did that I was like, how did I not know that this was where I was going to end up? Um, but the biggest thing I actually wanted to be a journalist. Um, I wanted to work for country weekly magazine, which I don't even know if they're a thing anymore, if it's just online, but it came out every two weeks and I would make my mom buy it for me from Walmart. Um, and I would read it front to back, um, every page and like, and I collected all of them. I still have them. So it's a very special, holds a special place in my heart. Um, so I knew I wanted to do that cause I wanted to write about country music. I would just was like so obsessed with it. Um, and I went to concerts all the time. Like my first concert, I think I was like five or six years old. Um, who was it? Trace Adkins. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was a good one. I was obsessed with honky tonk, badonky donk as a five-year-old. Um, so we went to the concert in my, Slap your grain, <laughs> yeah. um, and so that was like, ever since then we went to concerts like every year and Illinois, I'm very grateful cause we have a lot of like county fairs. So we saw a lot of people for cheaper. Like we saw like Luke Bryan at like the Sangamon County fair before he like really popped off. And it's like, I haven't seen him at a stadium, you know, but, um, so I just went to a lot of shows and got involved in every way that I could. And then also like I would buy CDs or like albums or different things. And I would like read the back and I'd be like, reading the lyrics I'd print off lyrics and keep them in a binder I also loved singing um but it was always kind of like I was just loved hearing other people sing too um and so like my mom used to be amazed because I would like pick out my favorite song from the album and the next thing you know that's the radio single and she's like how do I know this song and I was like oh I played that for you months ago (laughs) so different things like that now looking back I'm like oh duh this is what I was always meant to do and then I didn't know what publishing was until I actually came to Belmont um so I kind of came just like I want to work in the business and then I'll find out the rest when I get there okay so because my follow-up question was going to be how did you know publishing right so I guess when you're at Belmont publishing stood out you mm-hmm. got into that but what were some of your favorite classes because I'm not even really familiar with the type of classes that you would take there for mm-hmm. cause, I mean there might be people that want to go to Belmont that listen to this so can you kind of just tell them what the program is like yeah Um, So my very first music business class was called Survey of Music Business, and my professor was an old publisher. Um, So he really did talk heavily about publishing in his class. It was supposed to be a little bit about everything. Um, But in a way, like everything does kind of tie back to publishing, um, to the songwriter. And so that's kind of how that like I remember like probably first week is when I learned what publishing was and like how songwriters make money and stuff. And I was like, that's really cool. That's what I want to do. And then I was like, okay do I really want to do that? Or is that just the first thing I learned? Cause I started to learn so much more. And then I was like going on tour with sounds fun. Um, so I, you know, I tried a bunch of different things and I did a bunch of different internships. Um, so we have survey of music business and then you do like, they make you do an audio class. That one was not my strong suit. I knew very quickly. I did not want to be in the audio world. Um, and mad respect for the people that know how to work pro tools. Cause I do not. Um, and you do, like then you do publishing and then you have like these electives 
um, like artist management or um, like I did a PR class. There's a bunch of different options, um, but you have those core ones that are like survey, publishing, audio. And then my music business degree is like tons of just business classes, accounting, all these math classes, then like not fun stuff. So there are, because you were business administration in music business. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other options that you know of? Like, is there um, like marketing in music business class, like uh, as a major or? There's different emphases, emphases. Um, So I was a business emphasis, but there's like live music. Um, There wasn't like marketing. There was, that would be business. Gotcha. I started as a production emphasis, which is also why I learned very quickly. I did not want to do audio. I didn't know what being a producer meant. And then I, I realized, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, there's different things. And then there's also like, I was a music business major, but there's also, I think it's called CEI, like creative entertainment industries major, which is more entertainment industry as a whole focus. So like actresses, actors, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think that degree doesn't have to do as much business classes because mine was like a business degree. I think theirs was like a bachelor of arts or bachelor of science. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, uh, I had researched different, um, we had talked about this before the masters thing. Mm -hmm. It really nowadays degrees don't matter as much. Right. Um, having one from Belmont helps, but like at the end of the day, like a master's degree really wouldn't set anybody apart if there's if one has more experience. It all comes down to experience and who you know. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at masters because like you brought up the audio and stuff. I have no idea how where to even begin with that. Mm-hmm. And like in the artist management stuff, especially when you're working with independent artists or really anything, if you go out on the road with somebody, you have to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I've been out as a tour manager not knowing what I'm doing. Like there's been times where drum kits get messed up and like they're playing. Like I can't, like someone has to go out there and fix it. They can't mm-hmm. do it. And I have no idea what to do. Yeah. So like that's when, all right, maybe taking like West Virginia and the University of Miami, they both have online master's programs for music business and touring and live music is all uh, uh, classes. Mm-hmm. So I think like that is beneficial Definitely. It's not the degree so much itself. It's just giving you something to learn that isn't necessarily just by being thrown into the deep end. It gives you a mm-hmm. heads up because I was thrown into the deep end and yeah. you now have more of a experience in it. Yeah, there was definitely things that I learned, even though I didn't necessarily like the classes. Like I learned how to talk about, you know, the way the audio sounds, whether it's like muddy or, you know, whatever. Like I learned that stuff and I learned like I heard words that I would have heard in my job now that like I wouldn't have ever known what that word meant had I not been exposed to it already. And so just being able to talk in that language, I think is very important. So you gave a background as to how you knew you wanted to be in the music business and, and then what led up to coming to Belmont. But when you got to Belmont, being around the business, being in Nashville, were there any skills that apply to the music business that you found out you had that you might not have known about prior to coming to Belmont? I think just a good ear. And I think that's something maybe you can learn or maybe you just get from listening to a lot of music. Um, And I think I have like weird knowledge of like all kinds of different types of country music that regular people might not have. Like I go way back to the old stuff and then I know the new artists, um, so I think that's something that you just kind of, you can't really learn. It's just who you are, your like past experiences. Um, I was involved in like a lot of different like clubs and stuff in high school too. Like I was in choir. So I know like, like that kind of background. And um, like I was in a business class where I kind of learned how to like, like market myself and my business. So I think like that ties back into the music business as well, just in a different way. Yeah, I agree. Cause I mean, Essentially, that would be entrepreneurship, yeah. which is what my my college degrees in. And I, when I was taking those classes, I was going back and forth between Nashville and and Fort Myers, where I'm from, and went to college. But I was like, screw this! Like I'm sitting here wasting my time learning about things that don't apply. 
mm-hmm. to the music business. But once I started to get in it more, I was so wrong. Because I learned a lot, but part of me wishes that I had paid more attention and cared more and not pushed it to the side and been like, well, this doesn't apply to music business because it's not Belmont. It's mm-hmm. FGCU entrepreneurship. They don't they don't know shit about music. Yeah. I was very wrong because mm-hmm. a lot of the things that you learn about being an entrepreneur and just doing it applies to just being here because it's really, like we talked about, it's all who you know. It's marketing yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, so with you, Belmont degree, you had to market yourself to get the internship, mm-hmm. which can you talk about the internship at Black River that now led to your current job? Yeah. Um, I think it was probably my third internship that I had because I I really tried, I valued like the real life experience more than like the textbook, I guess. Um, And so like the second I could get an internship, I was like, I'm doing this. You're only required, I think, one to graduate, but I was like, I'm doing it every semester I can. Um, So this one I stumbled upon and I, I think it was beginning of 2020. Two, um yeah and I got hired and it was just kind of like perfect timing for me maybe not for Black River but um there was already a position open and I got hired as the intern and then the person that hired me had left um so then it was just my boss and me the little intern um and so that caused me and her to get really close and I took on more roles than like a normal intern would um and we just bonded over that and she really became my mentor Um, and I just kind of was, I did everything I could to like show that I was worthy and that I really wanted to be there and I really wanted to learn. And so then that caused me to then get a summer job working the front desk for the entire, cause like publishing has like its own wing. Um, but the label and everything's all under the same building. Um, so then I learned like everyone in the label, like was doing like the front desk for like the entire building and studios as well. Um, and so then I got to meet everybody, um, And then my last semester, I probably could have stayed. I didn't, like, try to because it was a full-time job, and so I still had classes. Um, And I wanted to get one more good internship under my belt. So I did leave and get – I did a publishing internship again. And I think that that was all meant to happen because I think I worked with a bigger roster, and I learned things there that I brought back to Black River when I got this job. Um, But I always just stayed in contact with my boss, and she helped me in all my, like, interviews and stuff, gave me so much advice, introduced me to people – Um, and then when it came time that this position that I'm in now opened again, she was like, I know exactly who I'm going to call. And it was me. So what was your first internship? I thought it was, I thought you were my very first one. one. Um, it was with big yellow dog. Um, and I was doing, I wanted it to be a publishing internship, but it was more of a label because they have a couple artists. Um, and so I was doing a lot of kind of like tracking streams and like YouTube things, which I learned a lot from, but it's just kind of, I learned, I didn't want to be on the label side because of that um and it did make a lot of connections through that one and it was very much like a first internship like I was nervous I like didn't know how to talk to people who I could talk to when not to talk um don't speak unless spoken to yeah (laughs) and it's not that serious but I was like I just wanted to do good so I was nervous um it was that one and at the same time I also interned at Backstage Nashville which is a show in town that they have like hit songwriters come it's a very touristy show but like as someone that was like working I got to like meet all these hit songwriters and was so like influenced by them and they'd sing like this song that I'm like oh my god you wrote this um and that was just a really good community too that I met people through and then what was this you said you had three internships right so you had was there other another one on top of those or just those were the two that I had like my first semester that I was able to intern and then Black River and then Black River I think gotcha yeah nice <laughs> Yeah, I got confused there for a second. I know. The timeline, I don't even know. Like, what year is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do want to get into the Black River side of things, though, because that is a pretty big... So they do have, for the people that don't know, it's Black River Entertainment, mm-hmm. which has the label, mm-hmm. which is home to Kelsey Ballerini. Mm-hmm. Other, what other big artists are on that label? Marin Taylor, Pryor Baird. Um, they recently signed Scotty Hastings. I think that's it. If is it, it's not, is there don't get mad at there management over there too? Um, there used to be. I don't think they're currently doing it. So it's just uh, Black River Records and Black River Publishing. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're on the publishing side. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the songwriters that you guys have over there currently signed? 
yeah um Marin taylor like i just mentioned prior baird um jason early dan wilson brian simpson blake ruby josh kerr oh, i love josh kerr yeah he's a great writer he's amazing um and then hannah kerr which is his sister oh and she's a christian artist nice yeah. um so for the people that don't really know what publishing really is. Oh, and I forgot McCall Chapin. She's our yes, most recent sign too. Yesterday. Yes. Um, can you, uh, can you kind of explain before we get into your role? Can you explain what publishing is to the listeners that really have no idea? Yeah. Um, so basically it's kind of like writer management in a way, like we're, um, booking rights for our songwriters, um, and trying to get like those good combos. Um, and then on top of that, we're like those songs that they write, we're pitching to artists, A&R people, managers, anyone that'll listen. Um, I mean, that's like the extent of it. And then like working with them to develop them, like as a songwriter, how they can be their best and how we can like offer them everything that we can to make their career the best it can be. So songwriting to me is, I mean, I have never worked in publishing. Um, but the songs to me have just always been my favorite. And I know we kind of talked about that before the podcast that you just fell in love with like the songwriting side of things. Did you ever write songs? You said you sang. Did oh you gosh. Ever write? Uh, like I kind of did. Like in my bedroom, I was like sad about something and I wrote it down. But it was very much a hobby um, and it stopped like in high school. Because so. <laughs> there's a... I think everybody kind of did a little bit. Like, even if you didn't, you're lying. I never wrote songs. Okay. No, well. I actually did. I wrote rap songs. <laughs> there you go. Me and my brother. <laughs> I hope they never get exposed. I know. We were just a, talking. Uh, one of our songwriters wrote a song that was like, If I Ruled the World. And way back when, when I went to Disney World, you can record like a song in at Hollywood Studios. And I recorded a song called If I Ruled the World. And I told him about it. And he's like, I want to hear it. And it's like it's like an, like an ad lib or mad lib thing that you like, just throw in words like it's already recorded for you and my mom's like i'm gonna find it and send it so you can play it for your team and i'm like oh gosh that needs to stay in the archives <laughs> um yeah that's funny the uh the songwriting thing is such a big part of the industry that people don't the outside people don't really understand mm -hmm. you know publishing a lot of people like i had a meeting this morning and someone was like yeah i didn't really know what publishing was and a lot of people even artists that have big pub deals now they're like yeah i didn't really know what publishing was until my manager was like they offered you mm -hmm. <laughs> like there is so it's really important that the outside people know that there are a lot of songwriters in town that you will never know their name you'll never know what they look like like they could walk into a store like you could walk in anywhere in nashville mm -hmm. and you could have this millionaire songwriter that's just written hits for some of the biggest a-listers yep and i think that just goes a lot very unnoticed yeah so i really respect the publishing side of things because it's really home to some of the most talented artists definitely in the world yeah and a lot of people don't see that they just see well this i mean kelsey ballerini is very very talented but like she's an a-list celebrity mm -hmm. so like people see her and they just see her as the direct talent they right. don't see the people behind the scenes like a Josh Kerr mm -hmm. that's helping write these hits. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very cool that you kind of fell in love with the publishing side of things because it really does go unnoticed. Yeah, I think it's the beauty of it, too, that they like they're the ones writing these words. And like, yeah, the artist kind of gets all the credit. But like the people like the ones in publishing or in the music like business know that these are the actual like stars like and it amazes me too, like the reason kind of why I never did pursue songwriting is because I think I do know a good song and so, or at least know what it should be. And so the ones I'm writing, I know they aren't good and that's okay. But then there's these songwriters that are turning in songs that like are like to my core, exactly what I'm feeling. And I'm like, how can you put that feeling into words yeah. so beautifully? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I did want to ask you this. It might not be an answerable question due to your current job. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. <laughs> so there's a lot of people find out that, for example, we'll just use Cody Johnson as an example. Mm -hmm. 
he's an amazing artist and like you listen to his songs like for example dirt cheap mm-hmm. people love that song they they love the words it's really the songwriting about it obviously he's got a great voice but the songwriting is incredible and then they go find out and it's news to them that he didn't write the song right he has he's not a writer on it at all mm-hmm. he just took an outside song and sang it same with uh the painter mm-hmm. which is blow it blew up on tiktok hit radio um and that people were kind of disappointed oh i thought he wrote that song about his wife because mm-hmm. you know the video and everything was about his wife well i mean people it takes away from the song when you find out that he didn't actually write it because that's not what he's feeling it's not really his song i don't think it does though because i think it doesn't take away because there's like a team of people that are like, this is what Cody wants to say. Mm-hmm. We just need to find someone that wrote it the way that he wants to say it. Like, these are the songs that he's looking for. And then they play it for him. And he's like, yes, this song is exactly what I need because this is what I'm feeling. So it's not saying that it's not like he didn't write it necessarily, but he somebody wrote it better than he probably ever could, which is why he wanted to record it. So, but since it was somebody else's, to play devil's advocate, okay. since it was somebody else. Like you talked about, you you have these feelings and you just put them to words. You put them to paper. Um, that's somebody else's story, somebody mm-hmm. else's song. So that's like, I don't, I don't believe this, but I know people do. Mm-hmm. That's like me going and telling your story to somebody else. Like it's not genuine when it's not coming from you. If it comes from me, then it's just like me telling somebody else's story. So using Cody Johnson again. He's telling somebody else's, I think it was like Josh Phillips or something, I forget his name, um, who wrote Dirt Cheap, but like he's telling somebody else's story. So what is it that makes it Cody Johnson's story? Well, how is it making, is it just by the singing or like, it might be a hard question to answer, but like I for don't the think, listeners. Yeah, I don't think it's not, I think it's probably is the songwriter's story or like, also, like, there's a lot of songwriters that are so talented that they're not, like, they may be watching a movie and they're inspired by that, so they're going to go write about that. Maybe they never had, like, this, you know, crazy thing happen to them that they wrote about. Like, I'm sure, like, there's all kinds of, like, murder songs. I don't yeah. think the songwriter actually murdered anybody, hopefully. And so, they're, but they're still writing about that because they can channel, like, that character in their mind. Um, and so, even if, like, the writer was writing for their wife, like, in The Painter or whatever, like, that doesn't mean that. Cody doesn't still relate to it. And that's why, you know, the world loves it is because they relate to it in their own way. So it's not not Cody's story. It's not like directly coming from him, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't fit into his story as well. Yeah. And I've never really, I've never believed that um, because I know Cody Johnson, he has uh, By Your Grace, like he wrote that song by himself. So he's a great songwriter. I don't want to discredit him. He's my favorite artist. But using like Morgan Wallen, for example, he played that, uh, the acoustic show for his release party mm-hmm. March 3rd of 22 or 23 um, at Bridgestone. And when he played Diane Man, he talked about how it was for his son. Mm-hmm. But then you could, like people found out, well, he didn't write that song. So how's it really about his son? But I kind of just like, I was, I, that was the only time I felt disappointed. I was like, damn, that's a great song to write about your son. And then I found mm-hmm. out he wasn't the writer. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he, he just took someone else's story and related to it himself mm-hmm. and sang it his own way, which I think is still pretty cool because it is part of the artistry. Mm-hmm. And I love when artists cut outside songs because that is like what our whole job is. Like we're pitching these songs and there's a lot of times like, you know, if they're not, if the artists aren't writing that like there's songwriters that are just writing like a group of them that don't have an artist in the room. And so if there's no artist in the room, then you, we need an, artist to cut an outside song to get that song heard and there's so many incredible songs that don't have artists in the room so it's so great when artists do cut an outside song because then that song can go out in the world and everyone can relate to it who were some of the uh the artists that you grew up on listening to um i was very much like a country radio when i was growing up um so like i mean anyone that was popular in the early 2000s tim mcgraw taylor swift obviously um Sarah Evans, I was a big fan of, Martina McBride. And then I even, our like country station was like new country and all-time favorites was a thing. So then all the stuff from the 90s too, like Alan Jackson, Garth Brooks, did I say him? Um, so really just like mainstream country then. 
And then it was like as I got older that I started listening to even more like of the outlaw country, like Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, so on and so forth. So, who do you think gave you the most like passion towards music? If you had to pick at least one or two artists, artists, um, hmm, it's hard. I, I was definitely a fangirl for Scotty McCreary. Like, he was my Justin Bieber <laughs> when everyone was, like, freaking out about Justin Bieber. We, we're a big American Idol family. Um, but I don't know necessarily if his music inspired me as much as other people's. Um, this is hard. I can't really pick, like, one person just because I did a little bit of everything. I, w- I went through a really big Sarah Evans kick when I was little, like, Born to Fly. <laughs> Suds in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, my gosh, when I got hired – uh, I think it was media based, like made my headline Huds in the Bucket. And like, they don't know how important that was to me. Like, that was amazing because I loved that song growing up. Yeah. So, speaking of the media stuff, you checked off one of my. It's like I have this weird, almost like a bucket list. It's like a mix of a bucket list and then. So, like, a goal sheet, I guess, but it's like, there's no timeline on it. It's just like, mm-hmm. here's all the things I want to do before I retire in the music industry. Okay. So it's like, have an artist play at Bridgestone Arena or Nissan Stadium. And then another one is to be on Music Row magazine. Mm-hmm. You already did that. Yeah. Which that, I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> that was a big deal for me. It was, and I had like, I'd manifested it. I'm a power manifester. Um, cause I had taken headshots when I graduated. Cause I'm like, when I get hired, I want this headshot in Music Row. <laughs> And it happened. It hasn't happened to me yet. You'll get there. Thanks. It's, go- it's gonna happen. <laughs> One day when I get a big boy job. Yeah. <laughs> or like you never know, like someone you're managing if they do something cool. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did sign my artist to uh, like official contract, and it was like I had my company for a while. I think since April of 22, but we never had any serious contracts. And then I finally did an actual contract, mm-hmm. and we did this whole like press release thing. We did pictures for it, everything. Music Row didn't pick it up. Yeah, that was something I didn't know until I actually started working in it. That, like, I thought Music Row was out there, like, with a pen and paper, like, taking notes of what's happening. No, everyone's sending them the information to share. So that was kind of eye-opening. Still cool. It still gets the point across, but, um, so I I get that. And, like, the, uh, I'm not, I just want to clarify, I'm not in the business for the accolades that you can get. right. But it would be nice. And when you're like, especially when you're first starting, like you're studying these articles. Like I remember I read so many My Music Row stories, all this. So like it's just kind of that validation. Mm -hmm. I think more than like I don't need the world to know. Because actually a a lot of coordinators don't really get posted in Music Row. So I was very grateful that they did that for me. Um, And I don't think they need to because it's like you are really just starting. But like it's just kind of the validation. Like I worked hard and I'm getting recognized. Yeah, definitely. Because I've also the, um, like I know Nashville Briefing does some things, mm-hmm. um, Billboard, like yep. the power players and yep. stuff like that, um, which I think that's like a dream of mine is to mm-hmm. be on there. Like they just did the top 25, like up and coming, like young industry professionals. Mm-hmm. I would kill to be featured on that. Yeah. Because then it's almost like we don't have an Opry. Like the industry mm-hmm. people, yeah. we don't get to play <laughs> the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. These artists are like, well, like you can ask them. I had a meeting with an artist the other day and it was just like, like what, what is a goal for you? Like what, what's going to show I worked so hard and this is my moment where I can say I made it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, when I step in the circle with the grand old opera, <laughs> it's I so don't true have that. Yeah. So it's like, for me, if someone asked me that question, it's like when I'm featured mm-hmm. on something like that, where I'm like, obviously I'm not like done. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, Oh, I made it. I can sit back and relax, but it's like, okay, my, my hard work paid off. Yeah. And I think like also like so much of this job is like nose down doing the work and just to take a moment to be like, oh, people are realizing how hard I'm working and it, like it's showing. Yeah. I think it's just like, it's just a nice feeling. Yeah, definitely. So when Music Row posted you um, in that article, uh, that was to announce that you were moved from an well, I guess you had something in between that internship, right? Yeah, they made it kind of sound like I yeah. just jumped right in. But and you it, were, yeah. they announced it as you being promoted or mm-hmm. named the creative coordinator at Black River Publishing. Right. So congrats on that, right? Thank Even you. Even though it was, what, a year ago? A little, almost. 
Almost a year ago. Um, but can you kind of explain what your role is as creative coordinator? Yeah, um, we're a team of three, small but mighty. Um, so I am kind of the one that is doing like all the like more admin stuff to some extent, like confirming the rights, making sure the songs get sent to where they're supposed to so that they're like turned in um, properly and like for like copyright and all that good stuff. Um, and then like I'm turning in songs to like our system so that we can make sure we have them all like where they're supposed to be so we can search and find them tagging songs for like whether it's like moody or sad or love song female vocal whatever I'm doing all that typing lyrics if there's not usually our writers send them in but sometimes they don't and so we type the lyrics which I always did as an intern and it's actually like one of my favorite things to do because a lot of times like especially in a work tape it's hard to hear kind of what they're saying so to actually type the lyrics you're like oh like that's that what they're saying and that's so clever um so I'm just some things that slip through the cracks and then um I'm doing a little bit of like booking combos booking rights like reaching out to other publishers um to get their songwriters to write with our writers um or artists to write with our writers um and then slowly getting into pitching I'll be pitching a lot more this year which I'm really excited about and that's pitching to labels right labels and our people managers artists if they like will listen yeah gotcha so that's really cool. It's it's one of the funner parts of it, too, because um, you're like, I'm hearing all these songs that our writers are writing every day, and they're so good. And so like getting to like show them to other people like, here, don't you think this is a good song, too? Yeah. When uh, uh, like on the management side, too, I mean, I've worked with a bunch of different artists as far as like artist development and whatnot. But having them send me like when I would see that they sent like one file, like on my text or whatever, it's the the voice memo mm-hmm. i would get so excited it was like christmas morning to me i'm like oh a new song i get to listen to that's yeah. awesome um because i i love like listening to new songs and and if they're not necessarily because like they could send me a song and i could hear it and i could be like this is totally them or i'll hear blake shelton or i'll hear mm-hmm. megan maroney like there's a whole bunch of it's cool to be able to have that ear of yeah. like what's good who would sound good on this or who it, you know what i mean yeah it's that's the part I love the most I think it's so fun to like hear it and I have like folders of like different artists or whatever and I'll be like oh this is a good Kenny Chesney song or whatever and put it in that folder and then when like I do get the chance to maybe pitch for Kenny or whoever I can look back at the folder and be like oh yeah I forgot about that song yeah so what do you think the hardest aspect of your job and then the publishing business overall hmm um it's very relationship based so I don't necessarily think like this is hard but it does kind of like weed out a few people whether they can kind of handle the um like the going out to shows all the time because like if I like just worked nine to five did what like you know stayed in the office didn't do anything like I probably wouldn't be like moving much forward like for the songwriters for myself for the company Um, like I have to be going out, taking people to coffee or going to shows and supporting our writers, meeting people, meeting managers and our people. And so that part, like, it's just like, you have to really love what you're doing and want to be doing that. And like the beauty of it for me is that whether I was doing this job or not, I'm still going to be at that show because I like that writer and it's fun for me. And so I think like for some people, they like really love like a work-life balance and I totally respect that and I get why they do. And so maybe that's why like publishing wouldn't be the right lane for them, but somewhere else in the music business would be. You mentioned the work-life balance. Yeah. Being young and just like nose to the grindstone, just trying to get to where you want to go, there really is no there, yeah. work-life Never heard balance. of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think you said this exact thing yesterday. You're like, music is my life. Mm-hmm. Like I, and it's mine too. I mean, I have other things like everybody has actually a life Mm -hmm. you know outside of music but like somehow some way every single thing that you have outside of music is some way involved with music exactly and i think finding that balance is definitely necessary Mm -hmm. Um, i know like a lot of old head professionals they have that now but it's because they've they've Put their time in. Yeah, they have established themselves. They were doing it when they were our age, too. Yeah. Yeah. Paying their dues. That's why you don't see, like, the big um, managers and, and whatnot. You don't see them out at Live Oak unless they have a 
specific reason to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they put their time in. They've done the networking. Yeah. They've done all that. They've achieved their goals for the most part. But people like us, like I have to, we have to be out at everything. Mm-hmm. We have to be shaking hands. We have to be taking early morning coffee meetings and mm-hmm. and just trying to meet as many people as we can because you mentioned a huge thing and it's it's relationship based yeah and publishing is but so yeah. is everything else yeah in the industry management a and r um even being an artist mm-hmm. i mean Def- a lot of it an is artist like, is the hardest job in the industry it is because no doubt i mean you could have so much talent and really be overlooked if you don't know that many people mm-hmm. there's so many artists here that i've seen come through that their talent is crazy but you they just don't know anybody and nobody knows them because mm-hmm. one of the best piece of advice I was always told it's all about who you know but one of the best pieces of advice I forget who said it or where I heard it but they said it's not all about who you know it's about who knows you true and that's a, like some of the best advice I've ever heard in my entire life because I could sit here and say yeah I know this manager I know this person this person this person but if they don't know me, what the hell does it matter? Mm-hmm. You know, if if they're not like, oh, I need someone to do this and they think of me, then like it really doesn't matter if I know who they are, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So what was it like being young, moving to Nashville? Cause, what, you were 18 when you moved for yep. school? So being so, so young, you can't get into the bars. Yeah. So outside of just who you met through school at Belmont – how did you navigate the whole networking and building relationships to advance your career? I feel like it did actually really start when I turned 21 and was old enough to get into some of the venues that all the industry people are going to. Um, but I still tried before. Like there was um, a bar called Belcourt Taps that was like near Belmont. And it was, I think it was all ages. They never asked for an ID when you went in. Um, and so I would go to that and that'd be where a lot of like young people would play. And I'd meet songwriters or the people running the round. Um, I do that. Nashville Tour Stop. I always went to their shows because they would usually have it at restaurants that weren't 21 and up. Um, So doing stuff like that and then like really like honing in on like the alum. Like I had a lot of Belmont alum that really I think helped introduce me to people that I wouldn't have met just from going out to the shows that I was at. Um, But then when I turned 21, it definitely changed and I could go to Live Oak or Red Door or like these places that people were hanging out. Whiskey Jam. Whiskey Jam's a big one that I was like, I can't wait till the day I turn 21 and can go to Whiskey Jam. Um, So stuff like that. And then just like being seen at these shows, I think was how. And then people are like, oh, I see. I've seen you before. Oh, don't you like know so and so. And then it's all a process. That's kind of how we were yesterday. Yeah. We were sitting there and we were like, how do we know each other? I was like, so what? what, Because you obviously DM me on Instagram to link up for coffee. And but I had known who you were, like I had mentioned, mm-hmm. I had seen. So for the people listening that don't know, there are a lot of, there's YEP, which is Young Entertainment Professionals, and there's other little uh, networking events that are for industry professionals, especially the younger ones um, that are our age. Um, and I had seen your name on it, and you were the only person that I knew. I decided mm-hmm. not to go, because I really, I hadn't, I didn't know you at all yet. Mm-hmm. We were just mutuals on social media. But we were sitting at coffee yesterday and we were like, how do we even know each other? Yeah. We were trying to figure out when we met. Um, but that really is a big thing because yesterday I was trying to get your uh, headshot mm-hmm. to put post for this graphic. So I'm like stalking your social media. <laughs> and I found the graphic when you posted about Black River. Uh-huh. And I commented on it. Yesterday you did? And I commented on it yesterday. Oh, but I had oh before. Seen before. Oh. I was like, so we've known each other, who each other is yeah. for a while. Yeah, I think there's so many people like that that I'm like, I see them at every show. We definitely follow each other on Instagram. But like, and then I think there's a point too where it's like, okay, is it weird now if I go up and introduce myself? Like we both know that we know each other. But sometimes you just got to do it and find something to talk about. Yeah, that's, that is a main thing is you can't just go up and be like, hey, I'm, I'm Peyton. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, I'm so-and-so nice to meet you. Right. And then you're just like dead silent. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, have a good one. Like that, <laughs> you have to. It, it's a game. Mm-hmm. The whole networking thing is a game. You have to somehow research, not to be like creepy, like stalk their social media, but stalk their social media. Mm-hmm. Find some common ground where you can go up and be like, oh, hey, so-and-so, I I 
know that you do this, I do this. I just wanted to introduce myself. And that way they have a reason to continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I did at Live Oak. Live Oak was a huge spot for me. Um, And I mentioned this on many episodes that I've done, almost every single one. But listening to podcasts was a huge thing for me. I would Mm -hmm. listen to podcasts and I would go on their social media. So if they, I would look up the guest and then if they name drop somebody, say they name drop like a random tour manager Mm. that was like with, I don't know, I mean, just Dylan Marlowe. Right. I would just go up. I'd look look at their Instagram, see what they look like. And I would see them at Live Oak when I would go out. And I would just walk up and be like, hey, heard you on the uh, In The Round podcast. Like, it was a great listen. I, I'm, I just moved to town and like would love to pick your brain sometime. Mm-hmm. And you get connected on Instagram. You get each other's numbers. And you just you just keep doing that. And I think that whole the building your network is the most important part, as you mm-hmm. said. I also think it like it seems scary when you're first getting into it. But then it just continues to get easier. Like, I remember my first coffee with a stranger. I was like, what are we going to talk about? I'm a rambler. Like, I don't know how to keep a conversation going but then you find something in common and then it just flows and it continues to get easier and um now I love like meeting new people because I'll learn something from them like you learn something from everyone you meet and then when I was like job searching or you know like not in the industry yet I was going to these coffees and being like who do you think that like would be beneficial for me to meet that I don't know yet and then people would give me other people to meet and then having that connection be like so and so wanted uh me to meet you like can I take you out to coffee kind of thing are you a name dropper? You, so you are a name dropper, I assume, if you just said that. <laughs> I mean, not like if it's not a genuine connection yeah. that I don't have. I used a lot of like my old internship supervisors or people that worked at the company that I interned at um, and like would have them like loop me in on an email and connect me. I wouldn't just be like, oh, I know the president of this company when I don't actually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah, think I, I know any presidents. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh. That wasn't a thing for me was I was trying to, cause I, I would meet somebody and then I would know somebody they were connected to. And I'm like, well, I know their friend mm. and that would be a good connection. So yeah. like I was like fighting in my head. Like, is it worth going up and being like, yeah, I know so-and-so when it's not really like warranted. Mm-hmm. And that was a big battle for me. And it hold, held me back from meeting a lot of people because yeah. I was too afraid to use somebody else's name. when We weren't like, I mean, we weren't friends. Like, we had met. We, like, kind of were in each other's network. Mm -hmm. But there was no, like, genuine relationship there. Yeah. Um, And it held me back. But then I kind of just learned to... So, the reason I asked you that is because I'll I'll do it. I'm not afraid to do it. Yeah. I think, like, there's, like, a line. Yeah. And I think there's sometimes people can see right through you. Like, no, you don't actually know Scott Borchetta. Right. Like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm just trying to think of, like, unrealistic (laughs) people. Um, But, like, I also think, too, like... I have been like going down the line. So like I have like, I feel like I know most coordinators in publishing in town and they're introducing me to the managers or they're in, or I'm like seeing them at shows and going up to this person that I know. And maybe I only do know them briefly, but I could be like, hi, so good to see you. Like, and I try to also remember like things that I've talked to them about. So I'm like, how was that wedding you went to? Or how was so-and-so or like congrats on that song going number one at your company. Um, and then if they're standing with someone, like I always try to like introduce myself to the person they're standing with and you might, they might not even be in the industry, but like, that's just kind of good social skills to have. And, but then usually like in Nashville, somebody is connected to someone somehow. Yeah. It is such a small town. Mm -hmm. And to kind of piggyback what, off what you were saying about remembering previous conversations, Mm -hmm. it is so, this is kind of a weird thing to think about, but people like the best way to like build your network is to make people feel good. Mm -hmm. If you make people feel good, like that's, and people, what makes people tick is talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. So like if you go up to somebody that you've met one time and you remember their name, you remember conversations that you had when you're, when it's not like really like, it's not a normal person it's not anyone of importance that could help your career. Right. To put it like straightforward. Yeah. It's very, uh, I think that is such a big 
aspect of the networking is making people feel good and remembering things about them. Like you said, mm-hmm. congratulating them on this or um, remember little things that happened mm-hmm. in their life because it shows you pay attention to them yeah. and that makes them feel good. And that could, you never know where they're going to be in a year. Yeah. Like that person that you remember their name and where they were from. And like if someone came up to you, oh, I just moved to town two months ago, like would love to grab coffee sometime. And then you see them out. You like remember their name. You remember that they just moved to you. How's that? Like those types of things. It, cause that person could be A&R coordinator somewhere in a year. Mm-hmm. It just happens so fast. But, but yeah, I just think the. The networking, I mean, I've talked about it on so many episodes and I'm kind of going off on a rant here about networking, <laughs> okay. but I'm so passionate about it. Yeah. Cause it's, it, and you're killing it. Like you're always out at everything and people are starting to like realize and then you're going to get your music row article. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I hope. <laughs> but that's like why I'm going off on the tangent about networking is because the people listening to this podcast, mm. I've had so many people come up to me, they message me on Instagram, LinkedIn, or they just come up to me and they're like, Oh, I love listening to your podcast. It's so like educational and it's really helped me advance my career so i just try and hammer the networking part it's so important and i think like as we both move up into our careers it's so important to give back to the people that are just starting out too like i go out to coffees with so many belmont students just because i remember when i was begging people to go to coffee with me as a student and it's hard and you just kind of have to keep pushing and keep going and then it just gets easier and so i just always want I always try to say yes to anybody because I'm like, I have some knowledge that maybe they can benefit from. Yeah. And that's like right before we started this podcast, you were kind of like all nervous about it. Are you still nervous? No, I'm doing pretty good. Okay. Yeah, you are doing good. <laughs> but, uh, but I think you were kind of nervous about it just because did you feel like you didn't, you don't, because you don't have that much experience. Yeah. I was nervous that I was like, what if he's going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to? And that's fine because <laughs> don't pretend like you, that yeah. is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody has all the answers. Mm-hmm. We're all winging it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how else to put Like, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, at all. Mm-hmm. Everybody's just winging it. You learn as you go. No matter whether you're a huge exec, you can, you have a lot of experience, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of times you really don't know what to do. Yeah. And that's like us is just wing it. Learn yep. from experience. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I think uh, you being so young and having experience but not a ton of experience and just being authentic being mm-hmm. real about it just being like i honestly i don't know the answer to that yeah <laughs> I, I, don't, I haven't been in the industry long enough but it's good because like i had said right before we started is i could have on uh like seth england big loud and he we could sit here all day and talk about his story. Mm-hmm. But that 18-year-old kid that's trying to figure out, do I want to go to MTSU or Belmont or do I want to go to Auburn and just be in a frat and party my ass off and then move to Nashville? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not going to really understand understand like his side of things. They'll listen to the story like, oh, that's cool. Here's some things I could take from it. But hearing somebody that's so fresh that's figuring it out right now, they'll... Uh, like they'll understand you more if yeah. that makes sense and yeah. I think you provide a lot more insight than you think that you do thank you okay. yeah <laughs> um, but the last thing I want to get into about the publishing before we end and whatnot is uh, what you look for because a lot of there's a lot of songwriters out there like we talked about this a lot of talented songwriters that don't have a publishing deal. And I think no matter how long they've been here, we talked about the 10 year town. It happens fast for some people. Others, it, it could take 10, 11, 12 years. So for the artists that don't have a publishing deal or just, if you're even just a straight songwriter, what do you guys look for? You specifically in a songwriter? Yeah. I mean, every company is different as far as what they have already Um, If they have track people, if they have top liners, which means they're more like lyric based or um, more melody, um, there's a lot of different strong suits. And I think whatever you're best at, really hone in on that. Um, Like if you're really good at 
like really country country songs, then don't try to write a pop song. Um, just be like who you are and what you're best at. Um, and then there'll be a place for you somewhere. Like there's so much room for everyone. I know it doesn't seem like it, but you just kind of have to keep putting in the work and there is room and there's doors that will open. Um, for me specifically, I, I think also just like being a good person is so important because like for us, like where, you know, we're like listening to your songs and then we're going to pitch your songs and like, we have to like work with you every day. And like, if you're not a good person, no one wants to like help you. You know, like, it's just kind of that's what it is. And so being a good person and, um, like, showing up and, like, showing that you are just as passionate about it as we are passionate about you um, is so important. So as, as far as artists, like, I think putting in the work for your artist and knowing who you are as an artist is so important. And then that reflects on your songwriting as well. My stomach is growling. I don't know if you can hear it. No, I can't. I, <laughs> that happens to me all the time because I always do like 10, 10, 30 podcasts yeah. and around like 11. I'm like, what time is it? I didn't 11. eat a good 01. breakfast. <laughs> I get like, yeah, I get my stomach starts growling. I get so insecure. I'm like, oh, I hope you can't hear it in the microphone. I hope it doesn't come through on when I'm listening to it back on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's a lot of good insight. And what about like, the songwriters that write by themselves. Because mm-hmm. I know I've talked to some publishers or people within the publishing business that are just like, yeah, we. it's really important that they have a lot of co-writes. I, this is something I think I learned coming to Nashville, coming to Belmont, but then also so much more being in publishing that like there's not one person that can, like very rarely can a person write a hit song just by themselves. Like there are strengths that other songwriters bring to the room and they're going to like make you think differently than you would have if you were just writing it on your own. Um, and like sometimes too, they, they, they work off of each other. Like someone comes in with a title but doesn't know what it really means and then someone's like, oh, it could mean this story. And it's a whole different song than they ever imagined. So they all just work off of each other um, and people are have strengths in different ways. And so that's why I think writing with co-writers and having your crew is important but I think being willing to like branch out and write with other people like you're gonna learn so much more about your own writing and your own strengths um and like it's I think it's a challenge too this is just like in life like you need to do things that make you a little uncomfortable and if writing with someone new makes you a little uncomfortable then that's you're doing something right yeah I uh I think the co-writing a lot of people come to Nashville and they are used to writing by themselves mm-hmm. and they have to get adjusted yeah. to the co-writing thing. And I think it's new for a lot of people. Definitely. Um, so people just start to get adjusted to that. And then you have like someone like Zach Bryan mm. that writes by himself, used to write by himself. Yeah. I don't think he has much anymore. No. So that's like, they broke him out of it, but it's, it what really wasn't a huge thing writing by yourself in Nashville. Mm. Um, and now you're kind of starting to see it again, but I just don't think. I'm a big fan of Mm co-writes. I think putting a whole bunch of creative people together in one room, it's bound for success. Yeah. As far as like one, it's like with anything. Mm. Um, And just like writing in general, like you could write all the time by yourself and still like bring that song that you wrote and be like, it's just not right. Bring it in to someone else or let someone else hear it. And they can be like, oh, I think this, you need to add this to it. Yeah. And then it wasn't even like from the beginning you started that song with someone, but then it, and improved because you brought it up to them yeah definitely so thanks for coming on that was a good episode thank you for having sorry me. i talked so much it was uh i usually don't talk that much on episodes but i was super excited for this yeah i talked a lot too it's <laughs> um, fun <laughs> i uh before we met in person yesterday you, uh, you were on my list for podcasts i wanted to and i think it was just because we were mutuals on social but like i wanted to obviously have people within the publishing business on mm-hmm. and you're on my list that makes me so feel so happy. That out. makes me feel seen and validated. There you go. <laughs> like we so talked about earlier. Yeah. So it's like your accolade that yeah. I don't have any of. But uh, <laughs> You're going to get there. I really... I hope. This 2024, put it on your vision board. I, it's on there. Okay, good. It's been on there in 2023 too. Okay, well you just got to keep that working. That one's unchecked. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to plug your uh, your Instagram and your socials and stuff? Sure. Um, it's kind of funny. It's Shudspeth8 because my last name's Hudspeth, so Sarah Hudspeth. Um, as Hudspeth8 is my 
Instagram. That's all I really have. And then you have a LinkedIn. I do have a LinkedIn. Sarah Hudsmith. Reach out on. Yeah. People feel free to. Yeah. DM me on Instagram. If you want to get coffee. Um, just want to talk about life. I'm a rambler. I'll talk about anything. So. Yeah, we had a long coffee yesterday. That was two hours. That was the longest coffee I've ever had. Me too, probably. <laughs> I also was just like, what else can we talk about? So I can just wait until it's lunchtime. Yeah, had, so we had a, what time <laughs> was it? If my boss is listening, I did not do that, I promise. Was it a 1030 meeting? <laughs> yeah, which was kind of late for me. Usually I do nine and then I'm like, okay, well, I should get back before the writers get there. Yes, yeah, so we had a 1030 so meeting an and you had a 1230 lunch. Mm-hmm. So we sat there until about 1220. Yeah. Talked. Which is good because I had a lot of things that I knew about you and a lot of questions mm-hmm. I could bring up in the podcast. Yeah. So cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, so thank you all for listening to another episode of behind the music biz, a raised rowdy podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Sarah Hudspeth. Be sure to like rate and subscribe to the podcast. You can check out more from raised rowdy at raised and on social media at raised rowdy. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Behind the Music Biz. And you can find me on social media at Peyton Heben. That's P E Y T O N H E B E N. And we'll see y'all next Tuesday for episode eight. Yeah, episode eight. All right. Thank you all.